Hey, podcast friends. If you love our podcast and want to help support us to continue making cool shit, consider joining our Patreon community. Get early access to each episode, a monthly hangout on Zoom, custom answers to your questions in exclusive Patreon videos, and much, much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash conversations with creators to become a patron today. Your support means the world to us. Now on to the episode. Eight o'clock, the phone rings. Can you get on a plane at four o'clock this afternoon to Paris? We need to shoot a Celine Dion video in Nice on Friday. The first time I worked with Cher, can I go up to her? And I'm obviously going, so for the next take, in my mind, I'm going, I'm talking to Cher. Yeah, exactly. She's got an Oscar (laughs) acting, and I'm about to tell her how to do it better. Hey, quick question before we get started. Would you like to win a free piece of clothing from Snowman Films and a 30-minute chat about your creative journey with me? I know that I would love to connect with you, and I know that I would have loved to talk with somebody who had experienced a similar path when I was getting started. So let's make it happen. Here's what you need to do. Subscribe to the Conversations with Creators podcast, rate and review and share it in just five easy steps. First, write a review on your preferred podcasting platform and rate it. Five stars for good karma. Then, screenshot your review and share it on social media, tagging Snowman Films. Each month, I'll select one random winner to receive a free piece of clothing from our store and a 30-minute virtual coaching call with me. Again, subscribe, write a review, rate the show, screenshot that review, share it on social media, tagging Snowman Films, and get entered into a drawing for that one-on-one virtual session with me and some free swag. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave me a review. I really appreciate you, and I'm excited to see you in our one-on-one virtual call soon. Now, let's dive into today's episode. So the big question is this, how are creators like us who aren't built for the nine to five, for the people who put their passion before them being comfortable? How do we turn that passion into a living that pays the bills and a life that we love? That is the question. This podcast will give you the answers. My name is Noah Mittman, and welcome to Conversations with Creators. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Conversations with Creators podcast. This is episode one. We're diving right in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, my name is Noah Mittman, and I am a filmmaker and clothing brand creator and all sorts of stuff. And uh, I am so excited. I have the honor of having my first episode be with music video director Nigel Dick. This guy has worked with the who's who in the music industry. Just the top off his website here, we have Guns N' Roses, Britney Spears, Oasis, Nickelback, Def Leppard, Cher, Leanne Rimes, tons and tons of experience. And I am so just humbled that you uh, are, are said yes to this. Thank you. <laughs> I think the big check you offered me was the uh, was the Right, final. right. Yeah, my, my, from my uh, from my huge savings account. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, anything else? Anything else? Kind of uh, to to introduce yourself to the people. Um, well, those are the things. Those are mostly the things I'm no, I'm known for. So, I guess that's a good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually kind of that's perfect for uh, my first question on that. Is kind of. Obviously, you have a real history and passion for music videos. What is it about music videos specifically and music culture that speaks to you so much? Um, Well, like so many people in the world, I was just a huge music fan. Um, 
when I was brought up, uh, music was, you were allowed to like music, but it wasn't a career. And uh, so I was trained to be an architect, which did not happen. And um, for various reasons, mostly to do with the economy, if there's no money in the economy, there are no buildings. And if there's no buildings being built, there are no architects. So I had to find another line of business. And um, I got to a point where I found myself busking on the Paris Metro with my guitar, earning 14 francs a day. And I just thought, if I've come this low, um, whatever I do now is a bonus. So I... I returned to London and got a job in the music business as a motorcycle messenger. So, um, yes, that's a great beginning in London. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, and I was sur instantly surrounded by loads of musicians and whatnot. And I was in heaven. Yeah, of course. And, um, as they say, if you do a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. So this was my parents were horrified uh, my mother spat out invective for the rest of her life about the terrible career choice i'd made and i couldn't care less i i was doing something i was passionate about and you know i'd start work at nine o'clock in the morning and very often finish work at five o'clock in the morning so and subsequently it's taken me all over the world and i met these extraordinary people They've, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've been totally blessed. So I'm, I'm just very grateful that I found my way into an industry that I love. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the greatest gift you can have, I think, in yeah. life. And just as a career, like that's the best, that's kind of what we all strive for, especially as, as creators. Like that's really, you know, being in a creative field, it's, it's so... It's it's harder than I mean it's hard to do anything but like really to be a successful creative is just the hardest thing on the planet. Um, so the fact that you've been able to have fun the whole time and you know there are, you know I'm sure there are hard work days, <laughs> but um, no it's it's uh, it's absolutely a blessing. It's it's super cool. Uh, what was your first kind of break into? Because uh, you're you're most you're kind of you're the director that's your i mean you are a filmmaker but really directing is kind of your your strong suit correct uh well i suppose i need to know what the difference between filmmaking and direct <laughs> true um, i i suppose i suppose if you're a producer or even a pa you're still a filmmaker yeah it's true so um yeah i mean i stumbled into it i never really wanted to be a director um i produced for the first two or three years of my career and always said to people I mean, uh, people actually always said to me well you're going to be directing soon aren't you mm. and i had no aspirations to be a director at all and i said well i actually i kind of despise people who are producers who think they want to direct and then it just fell into my lap because you know i was working at a record label and they said look we've got two thousand bucks what can we do for that and I, I did a lot of photography. I did a lot of stills. And I said, well, you know, okay, if I take a camera, I can take this band out to the beach and we can shoot some stuff. And after about, after I'd done sort of four and five, four or five of these tiny videos, I was called into my boss's office and he said, well, we have a problem with these videos you're making for us in that 
we like them more than the ones we're spending a lot of money on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, th I, I the build-up was, oh, God, I'm going to be fired. And um, so, uh, yeah, it kind of went from there. And, you know, through a happy accident, I got to do a video for Tears for Fears. And they said, we want you to make our next video. And suddenly I'm making videos for records which are hits around the world. I mean, in, in six or seven weeks, I did about four videos which all became top 10 hits around the world wow i mean my my reel just went like that pure last so yeah i mean so that i mean that's so fast too like what was yeah. the first one that kind of broke out um well within about within a month i did shout for tears for fears um things can only get better for howard jones and the band-aid video uh do they know it's Christmas? And then about six weeks later, I did Everybody Wants to Rule the World for Tears for Fears. Wow. So, um, and I think I made a total of about 50 bucks for for, the, for all of them. Actually, I made a bit of money on the Howard Jones video because that was for a different label. Yeah, I was actually loaned. I was working at a Polygram or Phonogram and uh, I was loaned out to Warner Brothers to make the uh, Howard Jones video. Which is perhaps the least fabulous one of the of the lot, but just pure luck, really. And um, right time, right place. It sounds like soaring. Right time, right place. Yeah, I mean that that's the thing that I tell people is that you know how, what's your best advice? Blah blah blah. And you know one of the things is you just have to get lucky, but you you make your own luck. Right. So when somebody offers you an opportunity, you've got to just grab it and jump for it and um you know something which i i think you're quite good at you you try and keep the ball rolling yourself rather than just sitting around wait look staring at the phone waiting for it to ring right. you've got and that's that's really i mean i think that's been my biggest thing was moving forward and and in work you know trying to be full-time even though full-time means like one day a week sometimes <laughs> um but no, it's it's constantly reaching out and, and, you know, yeah, if you're sitting by the phone waiting for opportunities to happen, you're not going to get opportunities. You need to go out and make stuff and do stuff like this. Like this is a side project that, you know, is just fun. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, again, we just picked up our first podcast sponsor for this first episode because I've been kind of loud that I was doing a podcast and uh, that, was, that was cool. Uh, but no, I think you're absolutely right is... is it's kind of like when preparation meets opportunity, that's what I call luck is like if you're in the right, you know, when you're prepared at the right time in the right place, then uh, you can move forward. Yeah, I mean, you um, I mean, I, I was here's here's an example of a job which wasn't which wasn't perhaps a, 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 a groundbreaking job by any means. But I was uh, when I was at Phonogram. I'm, I'm. I was also commissioning videos, so I was the person who would farm out videos to other people. And on a Sunday evening, the phone rings at seven o'clock, and we had an artist called Marilyn, who was Boy George's boyfriend, or a friend anyway. And um, we'd been trying to make a video, and he wouldn't. He wasn't into it. And the manager rings me at seven o'clock on a Sunday evening. 
and he says, uh, we've decided we need to make a video tomorrow. So, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, and what's going to be in the video? He says, I don't know, but just figure it out. We need to make a video tomorrow. And no, no, but figure it. Thank you so much. Yeah. All of the details. Oh, I'm like, okay. And, oh, by the way, the band, um, he's flying to Australia on Tuesday night. So I want you to go to Australia with him and shoot some B-roll. So I'm like, okay. So, I mean, I put the phone down and pick the phone up and start ringing around. And by 11 o'clock the next morning, I've got the film stock. I've got a cameraman. I've got a studio. I've got a couple of extras. And I still have no shot list. I haven't had time to listen to the track. Or I mean, this is before the web. So I have a cassette of the song. But the cassette is in my office and I'm at home, so I can't get into my office. So I, I have to sort of try and remember what the song is like. So on Monday night, I put the film into the lab. Tuesday morning, I sort of uh, make sure that things are going to be okay for the next five days. And Tuesday afternoon, I'm climbing on a plane to fly to Australia, which from London is on the other side of the world. And at three o'clock in the morning find myself in Singapore airport and I bought myself a Super 8 camera just in case because I was going to shoot him I was going to shoot Marilyn in a location in Australia get off the plane I don't know 20, it was about 24 hours that trip because London Bahrain, Singapore Sydney, Melbourne so we get to Melbourne and I'd rung somebody from London and said meet me in Melbourne I need to find a location. And of course, still, I have no idea what I'm looking for. And find a location outside Melbourne, get back to Melbourne, and Marilyn announces he's not going to be available to shoot. Oh my God. So I've now got a $100 Super 8 video, Super 8 camera in my hand and some rolls of film. So I just start, every time I see him, I'm, you know, shooting a bit of film. And then on um, Sunday morning, fly back to London and have to throw it together. And so, I mean, literally less than a week after I get the phone call, I've been round the world and back. And I've got a bunch of footage, which makes no sense. So I have to throw it together. And, um, you know, the opportunity for me there was that was my first trip to Australia. Yeah, no. and Bahrain and Singapore. <laughs> you travel the world in a crazy situation, but you still travel yeah. the world. Yeah, so um, inside a week. Yeah. And um, a lot of work is kind of like that. You know, the phone rings and you just have to drop everything and go and do it. And you ne have no idea where it's going to lead. So the just say yes attitude is so huge yeah. for us. It's like you really, like, even if you're slightly uncomfortable... Obviously, if you are too uncomfortable and like can't handle it, then don't do it. But like, you, there's a fair amount of just like, say fuck it and you know, go and do it, and it'll work out or it doesn't. <laughs> but well, I mean, if you're good enough, it'll work out. I mean, on some level, I think it works better than having loads and loads of time to prepare. Yeah, um, you know, the things where I've had months to sort of do a shot list and go back and look at the location and all the rest of it very often looks rather boring when you finished it i think the the inspiration comes from the desperation on some level um so um 
yeah i i mean i like to have a plan i like to to do my shot list and think about how it's going to come together but I, you also have to be available to what the universe brings in um so uh yeah i mean it's one of the questions i'm often asked is why are there two guys dancing by a petrol pump in the everybody wants to rule the world video and the answer is there were supposed to be three guys because it was a piss take of ZZ Top's Give Me Some Lovin' and one of the guys didn't show up. <laughs> so, you know, that that's the kind of thing that happens. I'm about to do the pants and get what you can get. Yeah, I mean, it happens yeah. all the time. So how many, how many of like, because obviously you've just, you know, the list of at the beginning is just, you know, so many massive stars and music and, you know, again, music videos that I grew up on. How many of those were spur of the moment and how many of those were like a lot of planning or is it a big mix um i i suppose 20 or 30 percent of them were spur of the moment okay um that makes sense because there are a lot i mean quite a big budget on a lot of them so it's not you can't really just be like hey we're doing this tomorrow for you know well very often very often what has happened with me is that nobody's told me this but quite obviously somebody else's been involved in making a video for somebody and it's fallen on stony ground so another example is once i moved to la i'd been i'd gone on a cycling holiday to thailand and i got back to la at four o'clock in the morning and at eight o'clock the phone rings and this client of mine rings up and he says uh can you get on a plane at four o'clock this afternoon to paris uh, we need to shoot this was on a monday we need to shoot a Celine Dion video in Nice on Friday. So, of course, by the time I get to Nice, I realize I've flown two-thirds of the way around the world. I got the phone call like a day earlier. I got to just phone directly from Bangkok to Paris. But no, I have to go all the way around. But anyway, so, you know, I've got... And obviously, for an artist of that size, they must have been planning something else and right. it didn't work out. But they don't tell you that. But you just go, sure, all right, I'll put my clothes out of my suitcase, into the washing machine, back into the suitcase, and I'll be back at the airport that I just left 10 hours ago. And you get on the plane and you go and do it. And then in oh, and the end of that shoot, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? I said, well, I guess I'm flying back to L.A. And he says, no, you're not. You're getting on a plane. You're flying with me to New York because we've got an Aussie Osbourne video to do on Thursday. So obviously there was another video where somebody not delivered or they did you know whatever so uh, you know wild wild world yeah you find yourself just flying around <laughs> literally round and round in circles and um yeah it's it's an interesting way to work yeah no. whereas you i mean i hear about people you know who are hired to work on movies and they get i don't know 10 and 10 or 12 months prep I wouldn't know what to do for that 10 or 12, <laughs> frankly. Even for the most cinematic, crazy music video ever, 10 or 12 months is is, is too much. <laughs> well, I, I, regarding movies, I got I was sitting in my office one Monday and a producer that I'd met a year previously, I'd just gone for, I think, I can't remember what they, you do these occasional interviews where somebody just needs to meet some directors just in case. And the phone rings and the producer rings me up. He says, I've got a script here. Can I send it to you? 
And if you like it, I want you to get on a plane to Barcelona on Thursday and start location scouting. So I had four days prep prep before yeah. the prep. And um, did you like the script? It was terrible. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I did it. Well, he's he he of course he dangled a carrot and he said that the script's not very good, but we're we're working on rewrites for it. And I liked the producer, and and so and I thought I'm going to spend three months in Barcelona. How can I? Yeah, uh, I mean that that is a life decision rather than a creative one. And I feel uh, like there's so many of those too. There's like, especially with just being a working creative, like there's a definitely a percentage of work that you're like that I this is a, a paycheck and it's a cool experience potentially or a cool place. Uh, the project itself is dog shit, but uh, other than that, it's it's work. Well, I mean, maybe you can rescue it. And, right, right. And, um, you know, I, I have a, a saying which is work begets work. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a hole and the, the phone just is not ringing, then you have two options. One is to just get even lower and you know, do do absolutely nothing. And the other is to plan something. Okay, well, I'm going to go and shoot something. Or another another really good method of getting work is to plan a holiday. I always say, <laughs> if you want to get geek, plan a holiday. Yes. Number of times I have... Oh, true. The number of times I've booked a flight or a hotel and it's all been coming together and then the phone rings and... You walk off the set, get in a cab, and go to the airport. You know, and and I have the problem. Not a problem, but like because I, I have two kids and a wife, and uh, because like we're trying to do family stuff. So like you know, we had this uh, earlier this year. We had a camping trip uh, planned, and we you know we planned it. We planned it months out because we know that schedules are crazy. And of course, four jobs come through that I had to turn down. For that one weekend of camping, I was like, this is, and I, cause like I committed, I'm committed to doing family stuff and having that like life as well. Not just completely being work. Uh, cause I know how that is. And, uh, man, that was a rough, that was, it was hard. I almost, I almost ditched, I almost ditched the camping trip, uh, because of how many things came through, but I just, I stuck to <laughs> it. It's just fine. It's and, and, and doing your thing is fine too. Yeah, we're just jumping at it like you have yeah. to. It's yeah. but that's I can't tell you how much. Oh, we have a vacation planned. That's guaranteed. Work's going to come. <laughs> and a really good work opportunity as well. Yeah. No. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, I have seen some. There's some awesome uh, YouTube videos of behind the scenes of the uh, Britney Spears uh, video with you starring you. And I, that I got, that was like, Oh my God, there he is in action. Talk to me about, uh, about that experience. Well, we did two, which had behind the scenes actually. Um, one was crazy and one was, oops, I did it again. I mean, it's very nice having behind the scenes people because it means there's some interest in the work that you're doing. I find it quite distracting for a couple of reasons. The first is being a complete ham, I start trying to hey, yeah. You know, they come and they put the damn camera right here, and 
It's always wide angles. It's never the telephone. It's like right there. Yeah, I mean, so I, what I've learned now is to say, look, if you are going to shoot me, please put a long lens and just do it over there so I don't know because I'll become distracted and I'll try and be Mr. Mr. Funny Guy, Mr. Nice Guy, which is not obviously not what I'm there to do. So um, that's the first thing. And the second thing, if you have a making of crew, you're ready to shoot the scene. You know, you've lit it. You've got the props in, the extras are there, and it's like, where is my star? And you look over, and she's doing something special for the behind-the-scenes crew. Right. So the behind-the-scenes crew starts running the set, if you're not careful. So, um... I missed you. And, and uh, you just have to walk in and go, sorry, and drag the person out of the shot. Um, and, uh, you know, to hell with it, uh, if they don't like it. But, um, no, I mean, it's... If somebody's come to shoot behind the scenes, it's good news because it means potentially what you're doing is going to get a good audience. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it can be a distraction. I I think I know the answer on this, but for obviously so many like iconic music videos, do you have an idea, especially when there's behind the scenes, when there's maybe some buzz around it, do you have an idea that it's going to do well, like it, like when you're making it or is it all just like, let's hope for the best and just, you know, try you know you have no idea because i i've heard so many things of like they just had no idea that it would do anything well i mean the first thing is and i might ask you to repeat the question in a minute because i'll forget it but the first thing is you're you know very often you're sitting on set and you've got the client or the artist manager sitting beside you you know to look over your shoulder and see the monitor and whatnot and they go so this is going to be an award winner right <laughs> and you go I don't know, and it, I mean, but I mean, it's obvious it's gonna it's gonna win awards. Right? I can see it on MTV now, and you're like, great, fantastic. I mean, as if when you walk in in the morning, you go, you know, I don't feel like making an award winner today. I think right, right. Just walk through it. Every damn time you walk through the door and you sit down, you want it to be the best possible job it can be, and the the sort of the 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 view that you might decide today not to 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 deliver is an extraordinary one it's you know i mean i would hope everybody has the same attitude i'm gonna do the best job i can today and you have a little chat with yourself in the shower you know while you're soaping your armpits to like i've got to do a really good job today because you have to and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't yeah, and the other thing, that, especially with a music video, that you have to appreciate as the director is, or as the people who are making it, is it's all about the music. You know, if whoever it is, Britney, Cher, Nickelback, Oasis, whatever, people come to see them, they don't come to see my work. That, you know, it's a great song. Look at YouTube, your favourite video, scroll down as I've I'm guilty of doing at three o'clock in the morning of the piece of work that you've done. Nobody talks about the video. Right. Always talk about, yeah, man, this track, when this song came out, it was the center of my life. You know, I met my wife or my brother was killed in a car crash. This was his favorite song. I love it. I mean, they're all wonderful, Always the very personal comments. And if you scroll for about an hour, you'll find somebody going, love the video. <laughs> and you thank God for 
Hector, who lives in Brazil. I love that guy. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, that's look, a good point, though. Like, it's really, you are in, in charge of the vehicle that gets the song that everybody loves out there. So, you know, may, you, you want to make it good, but it's also, like, that, I think that kind of takes some ego out of it to where, like, you're, you know, it's, you can have the right mindset going in, which is great, but, like, knowing that uh, this is a tool to bring the song to life is huge. It's the commercial for a song. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I, you know, when people go, you know, make very nice noises about the work that I've done and all the rest of it, I, I say, have you ever seen one of those National Geographic shows where there's a water buffalo in Thailand and there's a bird sitting on the back, pecking his back to get the bugs out of his back? The water buffalo or the elephant or whatever, the, or the hippopotamus is the artist and I'm that bird on the back of the of the beast yeah or taking out the takes with that take away the water buffalo the elephant whatever it is and i'm just a bird with no job <laughs> so um you know if you want to get high and mighty about about certainly most of the work i've done in my career without an artist i have nothing mm. so um you know i love what i do i've had a fantastic trip i'm still having a fantastic trip and that's what i concentrate on yeah speaking of which i mean that kind of leads perfectly to my next question which is like you've been working consistently for you know 50 almost 50 years which is wild and you, you know we see the awards behind you and the kind of the history that you've had what uh what do you think is the key to um having that long of a career and having kind of you know the amount of years that you've been doing this is pretty impressive and you know you really hold yourself in a way that impresses me with being you know you just you're you're humble and you're you know hardworking and it yeah i don't know speak on that if you can well firstly it's 40 years 40 years excuse me <laughs> um, well i guess if i knew i'd probably screw it up um it well the thing is is that um you know, we were both working at the weekend together, and I remember saying to somebody who was just who helped us, who was just starting out, if you if you're doing this job because you know we're in the glamour business and uh, you you're here for the parties and all the rest of it, you're going to be disappointed. It's bloody hard work. Yeah, it is. Uh, my, you know, I'm afraid uh, I've got to the stage of my life where I have a bunch of catchphrases now, but one of them is, I used to work in a German metalwork factory. This is better and a little bit safer. Um, you know, hard work. Yeah. I mean, you, last Saturday I got up at five o'clock in the morning so I could be on set before anybody else so I could shoot the main protagonist arriving on set and I left the set at 10 o'clock and I got home and I was absolutely exhausted. Uh, oh, and I got no pay. <laughs> um, so we were, uh, we were uh, doing some uh, charity work for uh, Shine Music Festival, which yeah. is a very good cause. Look it up. They're awesome. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was don't don't normally do uh free work but it was a worthy a worthy cause for sure and we that was a 
it was a long day, but definitely fun. Yeah. So, I mean, it's about the work. Yeah. It's not about the parties. I mean, I, you know, as you say, I've been doing it for 40 years and I've probably been to five Hollywood. I know I, the old phrase, I can count it on the fingers of my hand, the number of fabulous events I've been to, you know, um, yeah. The, that's what cracks me up about the Oscars, honestly, a little bit. Like, I watch and I love it, of course, but, like, it's, it's this, like, gr- glamour night in Hollywood. I'm like, no, no, no. Filmmaking in Hollywood is doing, is, is 5 a.m. calls and hours of makeup and sound stages and, you know, lifting, you know, working as a group, whatever. Like, you're, you're lifting heavy equipment all day, just sweating through your clothes, and then going to bed and doing it all over again. Yeah, I mean, if you, if I mean, uh, you are, let's, um, you know, transmogrify ourselves into fabulous actors and you're going up to accept your award uh, and you're in a nice suit and all the rest of it and there's beautiful cocktails and food to peck at. Chances are that movie you're getting the award for you were staying in a shitty hotel halfway up a mountain somewhere and you had to get up at five o'clock, you know, like if you're in a Marvel movie and you're one of the beasts or whatever, yeah. you have to get up at four o'clock in the morning to spend three hours in makeup, you know, to stick all this crap on your face and then freeze to death on the side of a mountain while, they're, you know, they're shooting the stuff. And then you go get back to the hotel at, you know, nine o'clock or whatever and try and grab some sleep so you can do it all over again for the next 10 weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, And then films are just so long, too. Like, yeah, There's not much glamour about that. It's, like, it's funny that, like, I just remember, like, the one that stuck out to me was, like, Leo winning. It was like, cool, he won. What he had to do to win? Climb inside an animal during Revenant, like, the shooting of Revenant. Like, that was, like, it's insane. <laughs> freezing cold. Yeah, freezing cold. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, I mean, I did a, the first video I ever did for Nickelback, we were shooting up in Canada and um, there's a car crash scene and somebody saw the, saw the cut afterwards and they said, oh, I saw that Nickelback video, you did, you know, uh, and the car crash stuff where they take the guy out and they put him in an ambulance. Man, you went really over over the top with that fake rain that was traveling through the shot horizontally. And I'm like, that was not fake rain. And that yep. was three o'clock in the morning. And we were all soaked to the skin. That was not fake. That was that was like, it's blowing a gale. It's pissing with rain. I guess we'll go with it. Because <laughs> what can you do? Yeah, exactly. You have to shoot. So like, oh, I guess this is the look of the music video now. <laughs> so, you know, that that's the funny thing. It's like, that was an interesting choice, but I think you dialed it to 11. It's like... It was no choice of mine, pal. It was just, that's what the gods gave us on the day. It's either, and it's always either like super freezing or just absolutely sweltering heat with no shade. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you're inside. Yeah. I mean, and, and of course that's what's fun about it because... Oh yeah, it's not boring at all. No, no, I mean, I've worked in an office and... Oh my God, the coffee machine's taking 10 minutes to heat up. You know, that's the biggest drama of the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so with, I think it's something that not a lot of people talk enough about is um, 
rates and the money side of the business um, because it's kind of this, I don't know, shrouded in secrecy for creatives. So I'd love if you're comfortable to ask kind of how you handle budgets and setting rates for your work. Well, I mean, um, certainly in my little avenue of the business, it's all gone to crap, basically, you know, thanks to people buying music on the web. So that budgets have gone from luxurious to ridiculous. Um, so, I mean, I'm currently involved as we speak this moment. The minute this uh, Zoom call is over, I'm going to be having a conversation about a budget. And the uh, the client is going, look, we have to be able to do this video for this amount of money. Um, and the money's all right, but the expectations are just ridiculous. You know, I, I've been saying in the last five years, expectations are up, budgets are down. Mm. So people expect me to make a video for them which will be as iconic as Britney's first video 24 years after I made that video for a sixth of the budget. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've got 20 dancers, they've all got to have hair and makeup and wardrobe and they have to have five or six days rehearsal. So, you know, I was doing, I was bidding on something recently and the client was saying to me, well, um, you know, we'll, we'll get some free dancers and whatnot and we'll figure it out and whatnot. And, and I'm like, no, if, if you want 20 people to move all together, that takes rehearsal. And the budget they were talking about back in the day would have just about covered the rehearsal budget, mm. yeah, cameras, film locations hair makeup wardrobe blah, blah 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 so just for context what was what was the budget for the britney video i think it was about three hundred and fifty thousand. yeah which at the time was the entry level i mean that's the ridiculous thing back in the late 90s any new band signing to a label their first video would cost three hundred thousand dollars um and I, I actually, and uh, somebody at Britney's label said, we want you to do us a favor. You know, we've given you lots of work, which is fine. That's okay. Can you do this video for us for 250? And I said, yes. And my, uh, suddenly, you know, a day later, my rep comes in and grabs me by the shoulder and pulls me aside. Don't ever, ever accept a job where the budget isn't 300,000. Wow. Um, and you know, there was a big machine behind it. There was an office, there was a rep. Um, I mean, we weren't pissing money away. We, every job I've ever done pretty much in my life has been, all right, let's spend, okay, we won't, we won't do this. We'll throw this out because that'll save X amount of dollars. Yeah. Very, very occasionally has there been enough money really to do it properly. So it doesn't matter whether you've got $500,000 or $5, you're still fight. you know, something is going to get sacrificed. Yeah, uh, so that's always the conversation. That's always, yeah. budget is constant. Um, so, I mean, it, it means that I don't get to, you know, 
fly somewhere to do a video now. I mean, I'm I'm planning on two, if not three, videos in the next few weeks where the artist will fly to me, mm. and we're going to go off into the hills and do do something. So, um, I mean, I'm sure uh, if you're in the military and you're wanting to buy a new aircraft carrier, I'm sure people are going through the same discussions. You know, I mean, I, I love reading about this stuff, and they're, they're, you know, the British have just launched two new aircraft carriers, and the, the, which have cost fortunes, and the justification is that this aircraft carrier will be working for the next 50 years. Well, we have no idea of the technology or the... Uh, you know, geopolitical situation in 50 years' time. Well, of course, one of those aircraft carriers was supposed to come to America this week, and it didn't get further than the than the horizon, and it broke down. <laughs> so everybody's face is covered in mud right now, and they're trying to figure out it won't work. There's a $5 billion piece of metal floating out in the southern Atlantic, and it's not working. Everything is problem-solving. Everything in life is problem Everything. So... Um, you know, I'm reading a book about the Second World War in Burma, you know, and they've got equipment which was designed for use in the, in Europe. And you're in a humid jungle with equipment which is designed for temperate climates, you know, where it rains occasionally. So it, it doesn't matter what business in, you're in, you get a Sharpie which is not designed for, you know, it's like I've got a red one, I need a black one. So life and filmmaking by and large is an eternal method of compromise. Mm -hmm. So um and trying to Yeah, you have to be adaptable. Um, you know, everybody thinks, Oh, it's so creative, man, it's fantastic. No, it isn't. It's about it's about I've got ten minutes before the big yellow thing goes behind the green thing and I've still got 20 minutes worth of work to do how am i going to you know shot list okay i need that shot there and very rarely does somebody at the end of the day come and say hmm i saw that video and um the coverage was a bit slack when you got to the fight you know i loved that last shot man it was great and you're going got away with it yeah 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 exactly they got away with it thing it's such a good feeling of like you know the the battle that you just went through on the shoot and the, you know, just in the trenches and all the craziness. And then you get back and it actually turns out that it works and maybe even has some success. And it's just like such a good feeling to know that, uh, that's, I think that's why we, why we love what we do so much is that it's, it is challenging and it's, uh, exciting. And it's sometimes, you know, there's different tempers going off and, and they, creative work is just it's wild it's a it's kind of the wild west sometimes and uh it's a blast <laughs> yeah my my the first movie i did um the producer was steve golan who subsequently went on to win an oscar uh for producing a number of great movies he's suddenly no, no longer with us but um at the end of the first day of shooting we were getting behind schedule and there was a scene uh, with downtown LA in the background and uh, a kid with a bunch of newspapers and I had all I had this brilliant shot list worked out and Steve comes up to me and says 
you know, we need to talk. He says, we've got 20 minutes to get this scene. Do it as a one shot so that we complete the schedule today so we can get the completion on people off our back. We can prove on the first day of making the movie that we can keep the schedule and we'll figure it out and we'll come back later and we'll do the coverage. So just make it happen as a one shot so in 19 minutes we can wrap and we can show everybody that we're an efficient team. And I'm like, this makes no sense. This is great. He said, Nigel, do me a favor. Just do it. I promise we'll come back. So we did it as a one shot. We never came back and it was the best shot in the movie. <laughs> there you go. So, um, yeah, there's so much practical stuff. I think exactly what you said earlier with the kind of when you're flying by the sea of your pants, that's when the best stuff comes. Well, I, re I read a um, uh, an interview of uh, the Japanese director, Kurosawa. And uh, it's I think it's in Ran. There's a scene, you know, the 16th, they're all in the 16th century, whenever it is. All these Japanese warriors with the flags you know, like this, and they're all on horses and they're in these incredible armor, you know, and they're in this scene and the camera's fairly steady and they're coming down a hillside like this on their horses. There's about a hundred of them. And the, and the flags are flapping and all the rest of it. And it's an extraordinary shot. And, it and there's dust, it's volcanic dust and the wind is blowing the dust. And you go, oh my God, this is a mighty army. You know, it's, it's extraordinary and all the rest of it. And um, apparently he's at some film festival or something, and some somebody puts a hand up, Mr. Kurosawa, that shot in Ran, you know, where the people are coming out, you know, the army's coming down the hillside. You know, that's a fantastic shot. What, how, how did you imagine that shot? And he said, film shot in six, uh, set in 16th century. On left of frame, gas station. On right of frame, airport. <laughs> so... You know, I mean, that's the story right there. It's like, shit, I'm in the 16th century and I can see an Esso station and a 747 taking off. How am I going to make this work? You know, all the counts. I've got what's in the frame. Is you know, and and just uh, exactly right. No, that's. I mean, that's so. That is for anybody that's been in any sort of filming for any time. It's really like the chaos that's happening around the frame is always insane but then the frame is is the frame is the only thing that matters so it doesn't matter what else is happening if you capture something amazing in that frame that is doing your job well yeah i mean i i um i watched goodfellas again recently mm -hmm. um, good. you know which is a great piece of work and um a big pardon i then read that uh, Scorsese wanted to do some some scene in the movie that he wanted to repeat or do a redo on, and the producer said, "Well, you can't do it. You don't have the money." Uh, and he said, "No, you understand. Has to. The movie's going to suffer. Blah 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 blah." And they were about to go down to Florida to shoot the scene where the gangster gets is taken to the zoo and fed to the lions or whatever happens and all the rest of it. So eventually, the producer said, "All right." We can make this other shot happen, but we're going to shoot the Florida Zoo sequence in New Jersey. 
and he went for it. Well, uh, when you watch the movie, all you're aware of is that at night, and the bad guys have broken into the zoo, and they're you know they've taken the guy and I, I can't remember he's being put in the crocodile. It's Tetris. The whole thing is Tetris. It's piecing what you know what yeah, I mean, what important no. piece do we really need, and then where can we make it again a compromise on something that maybe doesn't quite matter as much. It'll still work to make the masterpiece. Full Metal Jacket is set in, in half the movie is set in Vietnam. It's a movie about Vietnam. I went to Vietnam on a cycling trip. It doesn't look anything like Full Metal Jacket at all. <laughs> Full Metal Jacket was shot in London. <laughs> all the Vietnam footage was shot in London. Oh, so a, it was sound stages? No, it's an old gas station. It's an old a power station and I've actually shot a couple of videos there and it, you know it was just left to rot and so he flew in a bunch of of palm trees and a couple of helicopters and suddenly you're in Vietnam I mean and you don't I mean the you know when I first saw the movie IMDB didn't exist so you couldn't go and find out all this stuff and you I just believed it was Japan and I'm sorry Japan Vietnam so that's that what what do they call it? The willful suspension of disbelief. Yeah. So um, that's the great thing about what we do is trying to figure out. You know, okay, if I get five dead rotting palm trees, I'm sure I can make it look like Vietnam. Yeah. I've I've in my career I've had to make Vancouver look like London. I've had to make London look like the Catskills. I've had to make. Rio de, Gen de, de Janeiro looked like New York twice. I've had to make Barcelona look like L.A. and L.A. look like Barcelona. I mean, it makes no fucking sense at all. Great. I love, I love the back and forth. So, I mean, you just go, all oh, right, okay, whatever. You know, um, I mean, when we went to uh, Rio... We just got an old uh, Chevy and painted it yellow and had somebody sent us a couple of those magnetic things that go on the doors which say, you know, 75 cents a mile or whatever it says. And voila, you are suddenly in New York. There you go. No, it's, it is. It's all, it's all di suspension of disbelief. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, if you can trick, if you can tell the story with what you have and make believe which is why we're all doing this this is you know we're playing we're playing we're you know being we're making stuff it's it's making stuff it's not it's not capturing it's making you know i think that, and there's that's actually a good thing uh, the, the capturing versus making what is kind of mentality wise for you the difference between a because i know you've done a fair amount of documentaries as well um the difference between the process of a documentary and a music video? Well, they're completely different. Um, uh, I mean, it helps having a perspective going in, but with a documentary, you have, you have to be prepared for the unpredictable. So um, I did a documentary about my father-in-law, who's a Holocaust survivor, and... You know, I learned about his story, and um, he was in Theresienstadt for two and a half years, which is uh, 
you know, horrific experience. So the plan was we were going to go to where he was born, where he was captured by the Nazis, and eventually we were going to go to Theresienstadt. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be the end of the movie. This is going to be the final scene, the shitty, horrible place where these nasty people were killing people every day. Well, Theresienstadt is very unlike every other concentration camp. It's not a bunch of huts surrounded by barbed wire in a cold Polish field. It's uh, It was built in the late 18th century, I think. Doesn't matter. It's an old car. <clears throat> it's a, a fort. It's like an octagonal fort with, I don't know, seven or eight acres inside and all these old buildings. And we arrived there and it was a sunny afternoon and there's a, a coffee and cake shop. By the, you know, the lawn. So we're sitting outside having coffee and cake. And I'm going, <laughs> this isn't going to work. I mean, I brought up this whole thing about these bunch of people with square helmets who yeah. were murdering people mercilessly just because their religion was wrong or different. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm having a cup of coffee and a nice piece of cake. This is messed up. This isn't going to work. Well, you know, something else happened, which I had, I, none of us knew about, which gave me the end of the film. So you just, I mean, you have to be open to, you know, what's going to happen. So I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary that was made of Terry Gilliam's first attempt to do um, Don Quixote called uh, any I can't remember the name of the documentary I'll look it up. It, yeah it's so funny because Terry Gilliam is making the movie of Don Quixote and he's and a couple of young guys show up with cameras and they're like can we make do the making of and he's like yeah alright so they start shooting this build up well in the first 10 days everything goes wrong everything and t at one point, Terry Gilliam comes up to them and he says, how's your movie going? Because <laughs> this is, and, and eventually on the 10th day, they pull the plug. The movie the first attempt at the movie was never made. Wow. And um, I mean, there's, there's one fabulous scene where he's trying to shoot in the Spanish desert and, a, 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 you know, a cataclysmic thunderstorm comes along and the shots of the flight of the camera cases floating past <laughs> i mean literally and uh, and uh, so you like yeah like really really went wrong oh it really really yeah. went wrong, wrong and um you know uh, another fantastic scene where they where the, the ad comes out of the production offices and he's in the parking lot and he said well you know this went wrong this went wrong this went wrong so they've done what everybody does does and they fired me they fired the ad <laughs> You know, that's going to sort it out. It's exactly. Firing firing the AD will help everything. The person yeah. just keeping this entire thing together and whatever. Like, yeah, them gone, that'll help. <laughs> so, I mean, the, you know, the very long answer to your question is when you're doing a documentary, you just got to keep rolling. Yeah. Basically, you just got to shoot a bunch of stuff and figure it out afterwards. So nobody knew going in that the documentary would be finished for the Terry Gilliam experience. But the real movie would ne would would actually get made twenty years later. Wow! I think it was released last year with Jonathan Price, 
Oh my God. So it was Don Quixote. John Cena. Yeah, I think I saw, I think I saw a trailer. Oh no, that was uh, Cyrano. That was Cyrano with, um, yeah. I mean, the guy they hired to be Paul... oh, anyway. the guy they hired to be Don Quixote in the original version is a French actor. Yeah. And he, he gets to set like five days late because he had a, an appointment with his doctor in Paris and he arrives and he gets on the horse and he's obviously got something wrong with his bottom, which is why he had to go to the doctor in Paris. And he sits on the horse and he's like, well, Terry, uh, do I have to spend long on the horse in the movie? <laughs> Terry Gideon is going like, it's Don fucking Quixote. You spend the whole movie on the horse, you know. I mean, yeah, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yes, you, yes. yes. You will never leave the horse. Yeah. So the, the French actor takes a hike, you know. Oh, my God. So one of my, when we talk, my, you always have such amazing, uh, because you've had so much experience, artist stories. Do you have any specific favorite ones that, uh, that come to mind that always make you chuckle? Uh, I know that's a very broad question. <laughs> I've worked with hundreds of people. Um, God. Well, I have, uh, here's an interesting, I mean, the trouble is if you have a story about an artist, it's usually not a very nice one. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, uh, I love it. Well, here's a story about Celine, which is actually a very nice story. It's a lovely story. Um, so I've just come back from Thailand. Suddenly the phone rings. I raced to Paris and then to Nice. And so um, we've got to come up with an idea for the video. And I come up with an idea for the video. And uh, Celine is supposed to be the assistant for a juggler <clears throat> for some reason i decided it should have a sort of a 1950s kind of vibe i'm in the south of france why not yeah <laughs> so we're doing a wardrobe fitting and um her husband was still alive Rene angelil and um this is, i go to the they're in a fabulous hotel of course i'm in some flea pit down the road and um I go up to their room and there's a bunch of wardrobe there and uh, Celine is lovely. I, I would never listen to one of her albums, but she's a lovely person. I really liked her a lot. And um, she says, I try on the first dress. So she tries on the first dress. Uh, kind of, it's okay. So then she goes into the bathroom. She comes out in the second dress. I kind of like this. And Renee, her husband says, you look like a housewife. <laughs> And so she looks at me and she goes, you know, she rolls her eyes, doesn't say anything and smiles, goes back in the bathroom and comes out with something which is incredibly sexy. And she sort of, you know, does a pose and she said, and she just turns to him. She says, do I look like a housewife now? And uh, Renee smiles and he looks at me and he goes, I think I'll leave you two to do your work. And leave. I never saw him again. Wow. But I mean, it was it was a lovely moment between two people who obviously cared deeply about each other. Yeah, and um, the effect of it all was it just completely relaxed me. Mm. You know, I I hang out with people like yourself who I like to think are very down to earth, and you know, if we have to sit on a box in the middle of a field and have a cup of coffee, we'll do that. You know, yeah. I'm I'm I, I've. 
I don't think I've ever been into the Ritz in my life, you know, and suddenly you're hanging out with people who have private jets and blah, 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 you know, all this kind of stuff. And you, and she put me completely at ease. Yeah. Um, which is from an interaction. Very important. I mean, another example is the first time I worked with Cher on the first morning of the first day of the shoot of the first setup, I, you know, should we do one take and I go up to her and I'm obviously going, so for the next take, um, could you, um, you know, I'm getting, I'm, I'm, cause in my mind, I'm going, I'm talking to Cher. Yeah, exactly. She's got an Oscar <laughs> acting and I'm about to tell her how to do it better. And she just reaches out, she puts her hand on my shoulder and she says, when I'm in, and I'd been to her house a couple of times pitching this idea. She says, when I'm in my house, I want you to be nice to me. When we're on set, tell me what I need to know. And you go, there you go. And that's why she has the Oscar, because she can do that. Yeah, and, and you know, she, I mean, she's a freaking movie star, but she's, yeah. she's a real person. She has, yeah. she has airs and graces when she needs to, but was very i really really enjoyed working with her because she was real yeah and she's share for christ's sake <laughs> she's real and she's share <laughs> i mean you know when i'm 10 and i was living in cyprus i'm going you know i got you to hold my hand i got you to you know i mean yeah bloody hell she's part of my youth she's part of, she's the dna of my life this is it. How cool! How cool to be able to work with yeah. so many, like, just icons. Yeah, I've been given this extraordinary gift. How dare I squander it? <laughs> you have it. You definitely have it. The uh, look look at your wall. Sorry, and I want to make a point. The gift yeah, is please. not my ability. The gift is being able to work with these people. I just want to make that clear. Let's get. You know what? That's a great soundbite for for social later on. Tell me, tell me that one more time. Uh, the gift that I was given was that I was given the opportunity to work with all these extraordinary people. Mm -hmm. And then what you made of the opportunity is what has gone down in history. Well, it's just, that's the work. Yeah, that's the work. The work is the work. Yeah. Ah, uh, well, this has been absolutely fantastic and I so appreciate your time and uh, your knowledge and your advice and your stories and uh, just you in general, you're, you're one of my favorites. You're very kind. And just remember that we learn from our failures. Yeah, that's, that is uh oh man. So true. We've all been there and we will be there again. And uh, it's the keeping going that creates the career. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And thank you guys for listening and watching and, uh, here we go. We're off of the races, conversations with creators, and uh, we talked to a great one today. So uh, I will talk to you next time. And Nigel, have a fantastic rest of your day, sir. You too, and good luck with your series. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It should be fun. All right. Pleasure.